Welcome back to Two Mamas and a Mustard Seed. I'm one of your hosts, Renee Rethel. This week, Kisa and I are super excited to have our guest, Timolyn Bowens, back for part two of her interview. This is part of our season where we're listening to people of color talking about disparities across America. On this particular episode, in this interview, we're talking about disparities in personal finance. So without any further ado, let's just jump right into this rich, rich conversation. So the New York Times recently published a story titled, The Stark Racial Inequality of Personal Finance in America. They highlighted a major difference between Black families with children and white families with children. The piece said, Black families with a new baby have a median household income of $36,300, according to um, analysis of 2018 census data by the Center on Poverty and Social Policy. For white families, it was more than twice as much, $80,000. Black families also fall behind Asian American families, Pacific Islander families, multiracial families, Hispanic families, Native American families, and Alaskan Native families. The implications are endless. What do you think are the biggest implications for young Black families and this wealth gap? Well, one of the things that we talked about earlier is the pay gap that is most most definitely affecting that number. And then there is the general generational wealth that's passed down that's not necessarily it's not directly money what i mean by that is when i graduated from school the network that i was able to build i could have gone to washington dc and worked could have stayed here could have went a lot of places but if we're looking at brown and black people that are coming out of college they don't have the same network to be able to go get the same high paying job. So to me, that's generational wealth. If this is my friend's dad who has a company, he knows I'm looking for a good job. I want to stay home and he's going to pay me 80,000 right out of school. That's just not how things typically work. If you're within the circle, like I was where you have that network, you take it for granted, which I know I've taken things like that for granted. What I've seen time and time again is black counterparts, they still have to start entry level of everything because they don't have anybody to go to bat for them. Take into account too, you don't have anybody to tell you like you can negotiate your worth. I've seen, and not just between my black and white counterparts, but across the board, people go for the same type of job, different companies, and their pay be like $10,000, $12,000 different. What is going on? But it was that negotiation. But I think that happens a lot within Black families and households. Um, You're made to feel like, okay, you should be glad that you're here. And it's not something that's negotiated. Also, with this median income, if you're in a Black and Brown family and you don't know about investments and how to use those at times when you have a baby, That also is going into play. I'm a nerdy person. I like stats and everything. I have seen this story, but I can't remember what all went into the income um, because I don't think it was all earned income when I looked at it. And that's why I brought up the investments, like what you can pull out of to use when you do have a baby or buy a home for that part. Back to what Timlin was saying about, you know, kind of knowing someone, you can't always 
know someone, you know, when you apply for a job. So advocating for yourself is important. But I think amongst people of color, there might be, you know, that mindset, like you said, just getting in the door was good enough, but maybe generally generationally passed down to say, you know, because for, for some families, the fact that you went to a higher education institution was enough. It's like, okay, Jimmy just, you know, he's going to college. This is great. You know, that's, that's great. He'll get a good job. And that's, that's enough, you know? So I think it's a, there's a mindset for some of us in terms of expectation where we wouldn't dare ask for more, you know, it's just, it's not something we were taught, which goes back to the mentorship piece too. But yeah, I was just thinking that like, sometimes it's just enough to, to get in the door for, I think a lot of families or people, people of color too. So while we wish we could say self-advocacy is the simple answer to this problem, it's not. The Harvard study we talked about just proved that. So what if Black Americans do step up and fight to get paid what their white counterparts get paid? Good, great. But what happens if in that negotiation room, the white executive across the table has a high level of implicit bias? I hope our white listeners will hear me. We have to address our bias in the boardroom, as much as in the classroom, as much as in the church pews. And we, white brothers and sisters, cannot remain silent anymore. Uh, well, let's jump to retirement then. Let's do that. <laughs> you can give us all your retirement and how all of us, regardless of skin color, can retire at the beach. Anyway, it's <laughs> that same New York Times piece said that 60% of white families have at least one retirement account, while just 34% of black families do. Um, anyway, it, it also said Hispanic families have even fewer at 30%. Families with white heads of household have balances that dwarf the holdings of families headed by blacks. Anyway, they looked at family heads between the ages of 55 and 64, and the median balance was $151,000 for white Americans. $46,100 for Black Americans. Hispanics had the lowest numbers here, too, with a median of $43,000. So how then, especially looking at those numbers, how do Black Americans and Hispanic Americans do anything to make gains for retirements, retirement, especially if they're in that 55 to 64 age gap already? Is there anything they can do? So I want to... Of course, stay within my area of expertise. I am not a financial advisor at all. Um, I do work closely with some and we talk about different things, especially because right now my parents are in that age range. <laughs> um, my mom was blessed to be able to stay at home with us for a long time. She left her career job to stay at home and she was like, you know what? there's this huge gap of time where I didn't work and I'm looking at my stuff and I don't know, like, would I be able to retire and survive? So I have looked at some of this stuff recently, but again, not a financial advisor. For those people late in the game, what I would recommend if they can, and Renee, my recommendation is not going to help them retire on the beach, unfortunately, but just to survive. Go ahead and get debt paid for now, um, because as we look at all of the quote unquote free money that's going out now, our country's budget is in shambles. We know with inflation, everything's going to go up. Taxes are going to go up. Get debt taken care of now so that expenses can be cut and that they can still put 
something back. But I know everybody's not frugal. By the time you get to 55, 64, <laughs> it's hard to start cutting stuff back. Now, for younger people, though, if we have like Gen X, millennials, education here again is going to be huge. No, 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 not formal. Because the things that are trending now, oh, don't waste time putting money in a 401k, retirement, the stock market is faster, real estate. The stock market is, but what they're not teaching people is that there is a cycle. And your 401k is investing in stocks in the stock market. People can close this gap if they educate themselves on what their options are. So, for example, I just mentioned to you all that with inflation, everything is going to go up. I don't care who's administration. Taxes are going to go up. Either it's going to be now or it's going to be later. If somebody has money that they're investing in the stock market, by the time they get ready to retire, they're going to be bull and bear markets. It's going to go up and down. Whereas if they wanted something more consistent, you're paying taxes on money you're putting in the stock market anyway. If they would invest in a Roth account, a Roth retirement account, you pay taxes on it now. Don't pay taxes when when you pull it out later. That would help close the gap, not just right now, but also later, because when those tax rates go up and they pull the money out, they've already taken care of that. So that's one of those things where we talk about how can you strategize so you pay the least amount of taxes over time. Like that's one of the things I look at with my clients. It's like, okay, if we do the traditional, you won't pay taxes on it now. But then am I setting you up for failure if you're going to have high income later to lose that money to Uncle Sam anyway? I don't advise anybody to put all their eggs in one basket. Stock market's cool, but we need something that's going to be consistent as well. Any good financial advisor will tell you to mix up your portfolio. To our Black listeners struggling in the area of investment, you might need to find a Black financial advisor to look out for your best interests. In our show notes, you'll find a link to the Association of African-American Financial Advisors, where you can search for an advisor who will meet your needs. Whatever you do, get that education, mix it up, and don't put all your eggs in one basket, as Timelin says. Don't get your financial education on social media. I have to say that. <laughs> so can you say good to know, but... No, no, I was. I believe you. No, I, I, I believe that. It is absolutely crazy, though. So... We talked about me falling in love with taxes earlier. What I do specifically in my business is help people in tax trouble. So people owe the IRS and can't pay. That's when I they hire me to be their advocate because they don't want to talk to the IRS. So I do it. So Renee, that might <laughs> be even weirder to you because I get paid to talk to the IRS all the time. I have people old enough to be my parents in trouble because they found something on social media. So I can't even just blame like your teenage son's age. And I'm like, I don't even have TikTok. Like, huh? why are you <laughs> getting tax advice from TikTok? So, so Timelin, you told us um, as a business owner a little bit about what you do helping folks uh, in tax trouble. What were some uh, of the bumps along the way to starting your business? And then secondly, would you have any words of advice for Black entrepreneurs trying to build their wealth and their businesses? Yeah, so one of the major bumps that I had was not knowing how to ask for help because the tax world is, it's yet male dominated. 
And then it is yet predominantly white. I think the last thing I saw, less than 5% of CPAs are black. And I'm not a CPA. I actually have a different license through the IRS. But I think the numbers are the same. It's about 5% or less are black. So in me building a business, I didn't see anybody that looked like me already doing it. So could I have gone back to the partners I used to work for, classmates, other people I networked with? Yes, absolutely. And they had an open door policy. However, one, being a man, they're not facing the same obstacles I am. Two, not being black, (laughs) they're not facing the same obstacles that I'm facing. Even now today, I am, of course, not as young, but when I first meet with certain clients, like it takes them a while for some to like, oh yeah, you really know what you're talking about to be as young as you are. And I'm like, well, I am young. Thank you. Um, I am in my thirties now. Not that that's old. Like, oh, I thought you just graduated. And then they relax and I'm like, nope, I've actually just celebrated my 10th year in January this year. So I think, and I keep saying it, mentorship is definitely the advice I would give for Black entrepreneurs trying to build their wealth and their business. Because one of the things that I have noticed is that people from Black and Brown communities feel like they have to be self-sufficient. Now, I didn't need to raise capital, go do any loans. And I know for a lot of business owners like that is a very privileged, entitled thing to say. But you need a mentor to help you to hack your goals. Because if the will's already been created, don't go recreate it. And then also you have to surround yourself with people doing what you want to do and also who have already done it. I never, ever, ever want to be the smartest person in the rumor group because I'm able to learn from those who have successfully done it before me. Now, maybe I won't do it exactly like them because my personality, my morals, whatever are different. But with the business concept, definitely having that mentor and that network. I cannot even begin to tell you all the value of connecting with older Black business owners that have been in business successfully for 20, 30 years. Or even I did make a good choice in going to Bellarmine because I have resources there and people that I can pull from that Like I said, I didn't have to raise capital and do all that because of the network that I already had. So not falling into the trap of I have to be self-sufficient and bootstrap this the whole way. Like Maybe you have to bootstrap your funds. Don't bootstrap that network (laughs) because the network and word of mouth business and somebody to say, hey, how are you doing? You could have done ABC to just get there in three months and it's taking you three years because you had this tunnel vision like I have to do it all myself. One line that stuck out to us from this segment with Timelin was when she talked about black and brown communities feeling like they need to be self-sufficient. If you are starting a business, like Timelin said, a community is key. Reach out to other business owners and ask for guidance. All of us small business owners have been there. Next thing we want to talk about is Buy Black Blue. We know you're active on that. So just a little background for our listeners. Official Black Wall Street is a next generation digital platform helping to recirculate the Black dollar and strengthen the local economy in Black communities. 
we know, like I said, you're very active on the local one here in Louisville on Facebook. Tell us about what Buy Black Lou is and why it's important for cities to have networks like these. Buy Black Lou was created, founded, hope I use the right verb there, uh, by Tanika Bryant a few years ago to not showcase, but make people aware of Black businesses that are in the Louisville area. One of the major obstacles for small businesses in general is advertising and getting a a good ROI, which is just return on investment from their advertising. For example, I have been approached by magazines, neighborhood papers, and things like that to advertise within their small community. But I already had an accounting base, so I knew to look at the ROI. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Like 5,000 people get this. How many people would actually be within my client avatar? So I've seen other small business owners that don't know to look for that ROI. They go waste money with advertising to people who aren't even interested in using their business. What Buy Black Lou does to eliminate this is they let Black-owned businesses be on display for people who are already looking to put money back into the Black community. Buy Black Lou, what other directories, what they do is if you know you have, um, let's say, a need, so a contractor, you can go to this directory to find the contractor that you need. But on the flip side, for the business owner, there's a place where they can actually stand out. So Buy Black Lou is in the official Black Wall Street are giving those businesses the opportunity to actually be seen in their area of expertise. There is a Facebook group where people can tag um, and share content, but there is also a directory. So if you go and look in the directory, you can search by category. And like I said, it helps the consumers that are conscious or want to be conscious about spending money with the Black community. And then it also helps those business owners because, again, there is a gap within business just like there is the personal wealth gap. So it helps them to be on display and kind of close that gap a little bit faster, faster than 228 years. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, Kisa, we'll put the links to uh, Buy Black Lou for our Louisville listeners on our show notes. But I also that we have listeners coast to coast across mm-hmm. the country and globally, too. You know, we've got a lot of listeners in cities like Dallas, Denver, New York. I'm fairly certain that your city probably has not Probably does. Yeah. Absolutely. So do, do a Google search and I bet you can find it for sure. So, And that official Black Wall Street app also, I think, is a... A nationwide app, correct? Yep. So I think you type in your zip code and that'll help you out too. We love Buy Black Lou. We've been able to find everything from dog trainers to caterers to general contractors to hairstylists to pediatricians on that site. It's a great honor to support small Black-owned businesses. Find your network in your city. Trust us, it's there. So um, the final question for you, Ms. Timelin, what does the future look like for Black wealth and personal finance, in your opinion. Thank you for giving me that caveat there. In my opinion, <laughs> in my opinion, I think that things are looking better. Um, and the reason I say that is because people are educating themselves on what they can do to actually make a change that's going to be sustainable. Um, people are more conscious about generational wealth and knowing their worth in the workplace. So as I mentioned earlier, they're going out and starting their own. 
and they're being realistic, like it's not going to be an overnight thing. It actually, it really excites me <laughs> to see people shift their perspective. And even within like trade and vocational jobs, like I mentioned, um, electricians, electricians make good money. You don't have to go to school to become an electrician. And my hope is that as incomes go up and people are educating themselves, they also educate themselves on how to keep that money and wealth within their family. I looked at a very interesting statistic. Did you all know that there are 614 billionaires in the world? Of those in America, only five are African-American. The majority of those, that wealth was passed down. The five in America, it was all self-made. And I'm hoping like people, it inspires and motivates them. I'm also interested to see who it's passed down to. Of course, they're self-made, but they're alive. I'm wondering, like, will it be passed down to family? Like, what will happen through that? But yeah, I'm definitely looking and doing case studies myself to see what happens with that wealth. Because we see people make money, um, especially like Black entertainers, but it's keeping the money. We're blessed with the gift of Will Smith as an actor because he was in trouble with the IRS, so he had to start acting <laughs> He owed the IRS over a million dollars from his rap career, and he needed to make money, so... We love that we ended on a positive note. A mustard seed of hope is what we're all about on this podcast. We believe God can move mountains with our small bits of hope. Let's keep hoping and working toward a brighter future for all of us, regardless of skin color. All right, Timelin, you're awesome. Thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you. You are welcome. And, uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's All it. Right. That's all. You don't need anything else. Okay, okay. Don't Uh, We hope you all will tune in again next week as we continue to be humble, be kind, be courageous, and be good listeners. Two Mamas and a Mustard Seed is written and produced by Kisa Holke and myself. Music is licensed through musicbed.com. Learn more about us, hear more episodes, and send us your questions and comments at twomamasandamustardseed.com. Everybody knows it's time to let go and have fun in the sun. Yeah, all I see are blue skies. This feeling just feels so right. All I got are good vibes. I'm in a sunshine state of mind. Yeah, I just keep on smiling. Everything is looking fine. It's more than just a feeling. I got a sunshine state of mind. Sipping in the backyard, Corona with some lime. Good vibes flowing, the sun is glowing. It feels like summertime. Skating down the boardwalk, bikinis on lock. You can't get better than this. The sun is setting, the day is ending, and all I feel is bliss. All I see are blue skies.
mind. <laughs> 